Thanks so much for listening. Before I get into the episode, I wanted to thank today's podcast sponsor, which is Coda Luna and their baby keepsake castle. I personally just put all of my baby's memorabilia into these little keepsake castle boxes and they are so adorable functional. And if you really love organization, then you're really going to love this keepsake box. So not only is it a keepsake box, but it also includes a baby book and it has space for capturing all of the milestones of your baby's early years. And then the keepsake box itself stores all of the memorabilia that you want to keep. So baby's first socks and pacifier and the little hat that they wore when they came home from the hospital. So this keepsake castle with the baby memory book is more than just an organizational product. It's a gateway to preserving the remarkable journey of new parenthood. So take a moment to visit keepsakecastle.com today and embark on creating a lasting legacy of love and nostalgia. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. In today's episode, we are discussing what it means to discipline your toddler and how young you can start to do this. My guest to talk about this is Anne Kaplan. She is a mom of four, a parent coach, and she has a unique holistic approach to parent work that includes emotional support, home management skills, and effective discipline that empowers children while improving behavior. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hi, Anne. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks so much for being here today. I appreciate it. So today we are going to talk about when do you start disciplining your toddler? But before we get into that topic, would you give us a little bit of background? Sure, of course. So I am a parent coach. I also am a mom of four kiddos and my oldest kid is 17. So I've gone through almost every stage of motherhood. <laughs> so I've, I've experienced all of the things that I'm talking about for the most part. Um, and I work with parents on the discipline in their family, but primarily also the relationship between them and their children. So really the, it's more of a holistic approach to healing families. And when we do that, behavior tends to change very, very easily. Wonderful. Thank you for that. And mm-hmm. so on that note, what does the term discipline mean to you? Yeah, I love this question because I think that we all have a lot of kind of stories and um, sort of almost like uh, knee-jerk reactions to the word discipline. I always like to remind my clients, like dis- discipline comes from the same root as the word disciple. Like it's really just about teaching our children. It's not about punishing them or controlling them or overpowering them or being dictatorial in our relationships with them or in our family, all of those ideas that we think of when we think of discipline are really just um, kind of a warped interpretation, probably based on our own past experiences, if we're honest with ourselves, right? But it doesn't have to be that way. And it's certainly not the way that I teach my clients to relate to their children at all. So for me, discipline is really just about creating an environment in which children get to make decisions and experience the outcomes of those decisions because for children, experiential learning is the most profound and lasting kind of learning they can have. So when we discipline in a way where we create these experiential moments where they actually start to learn and connect the dots between choice I made, outcome I created, 
that's when they start to make smart choices about how they behave. And, and doing it in that way really helps um, not just get kids to behave better, but also lay a really strong foundation of autonomy, agency, responsibility, accountability, all of those things. And never, ever, ever having to sacrifice like the unconditional love and the strong connection and attachment that kids really need from an emotional standpoint to be able to grow and, and live healthily. I love that definition. Thank you for that. And that makes so much sense too. And I think that discipline gets a bad rap in our society because it's associated with the antithesis of right. attachment and you know all of that good um, emotional connection that we think of. Um, so with your framework of discipline in mind, what age can you start mm -hmm. doing this with your child? I love that because when I can imagine, especially most of all the listeners here have like babies or they're about to have a baby, or maybe they just have a toddler or they're about to have like big sibs in the family. The topic of discipline might even feel kind of premature to people. And I totally understand that. But when you think about discipline as like helping your child learn, that cognitive development happens around four months of age. Children start to connect the dots between cause and effect right around that age. That's why we start to see like sleep regressions around three or four months. We start to see kids doing things like throwing things off of their high chair over and over and over again, just to see what's going to happen. We talk okay. all the time about how kids are little ex scientists. They're running experiments. That's absolutely true. And so it is totally appropriate for us to facilitate their learning starting at a very, very young age by engineering the results of those experiments, right? Like what happens when I throw my bottle on the floor 30 times? Well, it doesn't really work out very well for me because my mom will pick it up once and that's it. And after that, she says, "Uh oh, looks like we need to hold on to this bottle for a while because it's not staying where it belongs or whatever. Or how about when like babies start to like bite you when they're nursing? Yes. Happens all the time. There's actually totally a lot of things you can do to help your child learn to not bite you anymore. Like that's a thing that even a four or five, six month old baby can learn. And, and that doesn't mean, so it's so super important to realize that the discipline is like a non-punitive, non-intense. It does not need to be emotionally intense. It doesn't need to be associated with negative emotion at all. Because once you understand that, it doesn't feel so crazy or inappropriate to start actually playing an active role in your child's learning in an intentional way, very, very young. Okay. So I am going to ask a question that I imagine a lot of listeners who just heard you talk might mm -hmm. be thinking, mm -hmm. um, how do you get your baby to stop biting you when, when they're <laughs> nursing? <laughs> okay. Yeah, totally. So this isn't about toddlers unless you're doing extended breastfeeding, in which case good for you. That's awesome. Um, but usually by the time kids are like two-ish years old, they're not biting you anymore. But really, it's just a very simple and loving cause and effect. And I want to also validate out there for all y'all who have gotten bitten while you are nursing. Like, it is very hard not to get upset. It's, um, a, yeah. it's a visceral reaction when you're just like, ow, you know, that really hurts. But... So give yourself permission that that's how you're probably going to respond because it's a pain that's coming out of the blue. But once you've done that, then you want to really just calm down and you say something like, "Uh oh, we don't bite. Looks like we need to take a little break from nursing. And while you do that, you calmly take baby off of your breast, 
place them down on the floor on a blanket or back in the crib or wherever and that's it and baby will probably be a little bummed out about that which is kind of good right like that's the whole nature of learning is experiencing oh well this is an outcome i didn't want to create by that choice i just made maybe next time i'll choose something different if you actually do this really consistently once again, give yourself permission to be upset for a hot minute, but then calm down and then di only ever discipline when you are calm because emotional intensity really negates the learning process. So, but once you're calm, just give that simple consequence, no shame, no anger, no frustration, definitely no like lecturing or anything like that, which I would hope people aren't doing with a six month old baby, but you <laughs> never know. Like we, when we're upset about things, do some things that don't really make a whole lot of sense sometimes. And that's okay. Yes. <laughs> but just that it's really, really not complicated. It's a very simple, loving, neutral consequence to a child's decision. Okay. So another thing that you just said that I want to touch on, um, that I think is really important is that, um, you should not be disciplining when you are emotionally charged or dysregulated. Can you talk about that more, please? Yeah, that's like the job number one. So when clients start working with me, they the first month that we're together, I just give them one blanket consequence to use, and that's what they use for all misbehavior. And the reason why is because it's far more important how you give a consequence than what the consequence is. And in that first month where we're working together, if your brain is working a mile a minute to be like, okay, well, they did this misbehavior, so that means they, I, what's the consequence for that? Let me think about it. You're not going to be able to put your energy and attention into like how you're delivering that consequence because you're going to be too distracted um, by trying to come up with what that consequence even is. So first month, it's like, we're just using the same consequence the whole time because what I want you to do is get really good at giving consequences. So why is it super important to stay calm is because human beings are social creatures. We crave above all else, energy, intensity, emotion, connection from the people around us. And if we are given that, even in a negative way by someone yelling at us or screaming at us or hitting us or all of the things that we like to say that we will never do as parents, but then we get pushed to our limit, if we receive attention, even negative attention, it becomes a reinforcement. It is a reward. Not maybe in your conscious brain. Any child might tell you or express clearly by crying or seeming scared, like, I don't like what you're doing right now. But in their like deeper brainstem place, they just got a little bit of a hit of hmm, excitement and like, yeah, intensity. Exactly. So if you're trying to discipline your child or not trying to, but accidentally disciplining your child through your emotions, disappointment, shame, anger, frustration, all of those things, it is almost certainly not going to work because you're accidentally reinforcing your child's behavior by being upset about it. Wow. That makes so much sense. And then when you think about when to start disciplining your toddler, they are going through a major cognitive developmental leap where that is like front and center. Their reactivity, their kind of reptilian brain is really what is usually kind of running the show. So um, can you talk a little bit more about like tactical, practical strategies that parents can take when they start thinking about shaping their toddler's learning environment through discipline. Yeah. 
Well, I would say um, the most important thing we can do and job number one for all parents is to know thyself and really care for yourself, understand yourself, because your number one job and the best thing you can do to support your child is to be able to care for your own emotions and manage your own emotions and mind. When you can do that, you are show up as a completely different version of yourself as a parent, one that is able to attune to your child, have a healthy attachment with your child, show up with and hold boundaries with your child in a way that's not about trying to control them or make them be a certain way. And that is what we know, even scientifically, is the number one most important thing for a child's ability to grow up healthily, have healthy relationships, make good choices, all of that stuff, tolerate their own emotions, everything. Like the number one protective factor in any child's life is a healthy attachment to at least one parent or adult, I should say, a caregiver. I love that. So if what we can do to facilitate that, kids come ready to attach. You don't need to make your, you don't, you can't control your child's attaching to you but you can control how easy you have made it for them to do the thing that they're already wired to do, which is attached to you. I love that so much. I'm so glad that you talked on about that and you said that is like the number one priority because I completely agree. And I think that that gets missed. I'm hearing it being talked about a lot more um, recently, but absolutely. And I think in parenting, we think about like child focused, baby focused, like let's focus on the child's behavior, um, what we can do for them, what we do with them, but really starting with yourself, like you said, and just making sure that you're focusing on knowing yourself, knowing your own triggers, knowing how to regulate your emotions when you get dysregulated, put yourself in a timeout, a parent timeout if you need to. Um, I love that. So after that foundational piece is set, then what? Yeah. So once you really can honestly say to yourself, I'm showing up in a place of attunement with my child. I'm not trying to manage my emotions through controlling my kiddo. Like I'm really angry. So you can't do that because it makes me angry. For example, like we don't want to be in that mindset. Once you have that foundational piece, then you can literally truly see your child and what they need in this moment. And when that consequence is over, when that separation time is over, when kiddos calm down, you can come back together and give so much love and comfort and empathy. Even if kiddo says like, I didn't want to go to my room or I really wanted to watch that show and you turned the TV off or I really wanted a cookie, but you wouldn't give it to me. You can be 100% empathetic. That stinks. I want a cookie too, you know? And if that doesn't negate the effectiveness of your consequence, in fact, it enhances it. You don't need, we don't need to use like withholding love or emotional intensity as the punishment. This is a non-punitive accountability and relationship-based approach to parenting, which means the consequence is what does the teaching, not how you feel about the consequence or the emotions that you're giving to your kiddo or anything like that. So you can simultaneously say, oh, unfortunately in our family, cookies are for kids who finish their dinner. So we're not going to have a cookie tonight. And also be the person who comforts your kiddo because he didn't get to have a cookie. And that's a real bummer. Yes. Yeah, I agree with all of that. So I also am curious um, with the example, it's kind of the quintessential example of like your toddler, you realizing like, oh, my toddler's having like some behavioral issues or rubber meets the road in real life. The example is you're at a store, toddler <laughs> sees something they want, you're not going to get it for them, toddler melts down, what do you do? 
Yeah, that's a great example. So most people like to challenge me with questions about, well, what happens when you're in public? You're at the park, you're at the store, your mother-in-law is visiting, you know, whatever, like you're on display. And my question always for my clients is, because remember that coaching isn't about telling people what to do. It's really about helping them find the answers inside themselves. So I, most of my coaching is spent asking really open-ended empowering questions that get you to start thinking on a different level and challenging yourself. So I always ask moms in that situation, like, what's different about it being in a store? Other questions that can really help you start kind of challenging yourself is what would I do if a behavior like this happened at home? My kiddo wants something and they can't have it and they throw a tantrum because they can't have it. I mean, that's all that we're describing, right? The only difference is, the, is geography. Instead of it being at home where kiddo's asking, hey, can I have, I want to play with that Lego set. And you say, oh, not today, buddy. And they throw a tantrum. Instead, it's at a store and they say, hey, I want the, that cereal. And you say, oh, we don't buy that cereal. And there's a tantrum. What's the difference? Yeah. And so one difference might be like, um, for us, we used to have a calm down spot, mm -hmm. um, or, you know, some people might call it timeout corner or whatever you, sure. whatever you call it. So a difference for me personally was we didn't have that calm down spot out in sure. public. Right. So yeah, we had so, to then create that. Yeah. So this is where it's really great to be working with the coach. Cause they're going to be both asking you these high vibe questions and saying, okay, well let's troubleshoot that. And usually what we come up with, especially if it's a grocery store or a place like that is we don't, it's okay. You have the seat of the grocery cart and there's a strap there. If kiddo keeps climbing out, you can say, Hey buddy, can you stay in your seat by yourself? Or do you need me to help you stay in your seat? And if kiddo keeps climbing out, it's, Oh, looks like you need a little help staying in your seat. No problem. And now you are going through the grocery store with a screaming banshee and you're strapped into your grocery cart. And once again, the question is, why is that a problem? Why is that any different than if you had a little screaming banshee at home who was in their calm down corner? It happens. That's okay. And especially kids, like they lucky for them in a beautiful way, their egos have not grown to the point where they actually don't want to be a screaming person in a grocery store yet. So they have no filter on like, I'm upset. Here I am. Watch me be upset. I actually don't care if you like it or don't like it, where we are, what else is happening, what you need to accomplish right now. Like, I don't have those like egoic filters yet. So I'm totally cool to throw a fit in the grocery store. And that's where you get to challenge yourself and say like, why is this bothering me? And most of the time, so you're hundred percent right, Amanda, like often when I ask those questions, the first is these logistical challenges. Like, well, I don't have a calm down corner. I don't have a room with a, with a door that I can close and all of that stuff. And we can troubleshoot that. Then the next thing is often, well, it's upsetting everyone else in the grocery store. Okay. Why is that hard? What does that feel like? What's going on with, with you when you realize that something that's happening with you is inconveniencing other people? Yeah, it makes perfect sense that you don't want to be an inconvenience, but sometimes we are. How can we be okay with that? And then usually once we've, once we've gone through all of those like more surficial layers, there's this point of like, well, I'm really embarrassed. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much for sharing that with me and getting to that place where you're honestly saying like, I'm humiliated. Why? Why is this embarrassing to you? Because I think everyone thinks X, Y, and Z about me. 
okay, what do they think about you? They think I'm a terrible mother, that I don't know how to control my child, that I um, maybe I'm mistreating them. Maybe they think I should just give him what he wants, like all the things. Like we're spending so much time in other people's heads speculating what's going on with them. And it really actually doesn't matter. You, you're probably right. There probably are some people in the grocery store who are thinking, why doesn't that mom just give that kid what he wants and shut him up? And there probably are some people in the grocery store who are thinking, wow, that mom really doesn't know her ass from her elbow. She does not know what she's doing. That's probably true. Judgment is happening all of the time. So my clients hear me say constantly, like, people are judging you. I, I'm, I will be the last person to try to prove you wrong on that one. But just because someone's judging you doesn't mean you have to feel judged. You get to decide what you do with that information. You get to decide the story you tell yourself about it. All of that. And for me, walking through the grocery store, zen and cool as a cucumber, where my, while my child is like a hysterical nut job in the grocery cart, is one of my most prideful experiences as a mom. I uh, I know because my parenting comes from my intuitive inner knowing about what is right and who I am. I know that I'm nailing it as a mom and it makes no difference to me if anyone else agrees. Yeah, I love that so much. That is huge. And one of my favorite sayings from being in recovery rooms is it's none of your business what other people think of you. Mm-hmm. And if you can just validate yourself, like you said, you know, you are a rock star as a parent. So it really doesn't matter what they're thinking or what story is going on in their mind. 100%. Well, I have loved our conversation and thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and expertise with us. If folks want to get in touch with you or Mm -hmm. follow you on social media, where can they do that? Yeah. So you can find me on Facebook really easily. It's just Ann Kaplan, parent coach. That's me. That's what I do. Um, you can also go to my website, which is annkaplanparentcoach.com, and you can get my freebie, which is a free workbook on getting your kids to listen the first time you talk. That is really easy to find. It's a bit.ly link, so it's bit.ly slash kids who listen. And once you get that freebie, you are going to, first of all, get immediately a really great um, guide that's going to walk you step by step through how to apply actually all the principles that I use in teaching my clients to this one specific super common problem, which is that we find ourselves repeating ourselves all the time and feeling like a broken record. But also you'll be on my email list, which means like every week you're going to get an amazing either video or written tip from me on parenting and keeping your head on straight and what to do in different parenting challenges and all of those things. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. And I'm going to link to everything you mentioned in the show notes of this episode. Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you liked the episode and would like to hear more, please follow Finding Your Village wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to use the code FYVPODCAST to sign up for the postpartum class at pregnancytopreschool.net to save 15% today. Thank you so much and stay safe, healthy, and connected.